and now I also want to remind you that we are in a sermon series for those who maybe weren't here last Sunday. We are in a sermon series that focuses on the vision that I have set for the congregation. It is uh, God's power made perfect in our weakness. And so I just want to remind you of that. And today we're going to focus on Noah. Now that being said, you know, I have pretty fond memories of my elementary school years. Now I know what a lot of you may be thinking right now. Uh, I can hardly remember our 40s, right? But uh, anyway, right, as of right now, I still have these vivid memories of my elementary school years, whether it be at a birthday party with my friends or whether it be on a, a field day at school. And I also remember how generally we were kind to one another as kids. You know, yeah, the kids every now and then would hit each other, but generally we were kind and there was this innocence we all possessed, an innocence that was defined by being carefree and non-judgmental. We were just more kind to one another. And then I remember when things started to change. I remember in fifth and sixth grade, our innocence just seemed to slip away. We became mean to one another. We became judgmental and callous. It was actually in the fifth grade that I witnessed the first school fight in my school years. One kid hurled insults and slurs at another, and the, the insulted kid had proceeded to pummel the other kid. First time I've ever seen anything like it. It was recess. We were all out, hundreds of kids out in the field for recess. And then I just saw hundreds just flock to one point in the field, and apparently there was a fight going on. In elementary school, the, the fighting would have been no more than pushing, and nobody would have dared to go and flock around to fight and watch it. But now, in fifth grade, everybody was just so eager, and they flocked to see a fight because they relished in the violence now, I don't want anybody to think that I was some completely self-aware 11 or 12-year-old. Right? The, your parents would know there's no such thing as a completely self-aware 11 and 12-year-old. But then I, I, I saw the evil polluting my peers, and I was well aware that I would wanted nothing to do with it. And quite frankly, I made mistakes in those years. You know, it snuck in. The evil snuck in. I made mistakes, mistakes but I just knew that I didn't want anything to do with it. And in those years, in fifth and sixth grade, and then even through middle school and then a lot of high school, I felt alone. It seemed like every intention and every action and every thought of the, the people around me was evil. I just saw evil take over so many people. There was just this so, very noticeable moral decline. And aside from just reflecting on it in my school years, I think we probably all reflected on it in the world, haven't we? A very noticeable moral decline. And it's kind of frightening, isn't it? With each passing day, it just seems like thousands upon thousands almost turn completely to evil. And what's even more frightening is that there are millions who think they're doing right, but they've just been practicing evil so long that they think it is normal. I've seen so many peers, I've seen friends, I've seen family fall prey to evil's allurement. And there have been times where I've just felt so alone because of it. And I know that Noah, Noah felt alone for similar reasons. In fact, he was in a more extreme circumstance. Adam and Eve, they're expelled from the garden. Cain killed Abel. And now several generations later, God, he looks upon the state of the people and it is not good to say the least. And so, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 says this. 
When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. They took as their wives any they chose, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came in, the daughters of man, they also bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor and the eyes of the Lord. All right, we first encounter these sons of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the term sons of God, it's always in reference to angels. And in this case, these are some fallen angels, and they apparently have children with mankind. Now, this is, let's just get this out of the way. This is just really weird, right? This is really weird. I mean, I grew up under the impression that angels were exclusively spiritual beings. Well, They are spiritual beings, but they're not just spiritual beings. And we see in Mark 16, there's an angel that appears bodily at the tomb of Jesus. So they're not just spiritual. And this kind of explains how they they were able to procreate, essentially. Now, I don't think we have to worry about this today. I don't think we have to worry about fallen angels procreating today. Jude 6 says that since they did not stay within their position of authority, God kept them in eternal change. So, No need to worry about angels procreating or no need to worry about the Nephilim, but this was a concern then. These were some evil angels, right? Evil angels. And this, you know, this kind of makes me puzzled why some parents call their kids little angels. You know, this is my little angel. And over here I'm like, well, what angels are you talking about? (laughs) There are some evil angels. So uh, we see that the, the morality of humanity, it is first plagued by these fallen angels and then it doesn't look good. It says that every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was evil, only evil, continually. Is this like a triple positive or something? You know, in case this, this triple positive, it creates one massive negative. You know, I, obviously that doesn't make sense, but you get what I'm saying here. It's almost like saying they're pure evil without saying they are purely evil. And I want you to imagine yourself in Noah's position. Imagine you are living in a time and you're the only person who wants to please God. Imagine everyone around you is just practically pure evil. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? How alone you would feel? It really cannot be emphasized enough. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. It says, And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. I think we all know how it feels to betray someone's confidence, don't we? Whether it be friends, whether it be family, whether it be spouses, whether it be parents, whether it be God. And these people on the earth, they have no conscience of betraying God's confidence. How many people are like that today? They're not even conscious of the fact that they're betraying their creator's conscience. And so God, he decides to blot out creation. 
But why? Well, because of humankind's actions. Notice how uh, all of God's creation, it faces the consequences of our action. It faces the consequences of humankind's sin. Some people wonder why there's so much suffering in creation and why so many created beings, uh, whether it be animals, suffer on earth. But I think it's a good cosmology to realize that humankind's sin has led to so many negative consequences for creation. You wonder why the, the earth suffers so much? How about we take a look in the mirror? And so the earth is, it's had havoc just all over it. God sees this sin, it comes up to him, he is well aware of it, and amidst the evil, while he sees all this evil, he sees Noah. And Noah finds favor in God's eyes. And now notice the exclusive emphasis on Noah. It says Noah found favor in God's eyes. It doesn't say that Noah and his family found favor in God's eyes. No, it was only Noah. The implication being that even his family is not that great, right? Noah is truly alone. And to be alone, if we're honest, it really is a weakness. Right? We know the saying, there's strength in numbers. And this is a biblical principle. There is strength in numbers. But that does not mean that God cannot take that weakness, that weakness of being alone, and use an individual. Yes, Noah may be alone. Yes, he might be the only person concerned about pleasing God. But one person who wants to please God is enough. God can do amazing things through them. But sometimes for amazing things to be through you and through anybody who wants to please God. He might ask something out of the norm from you. And so God, he asked Noah to build the ark in Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. The text says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the doors of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds and of creeping things on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this and he did that all God commanded. Now, there are obviously a few things to pack here, unpack here. We are told of one specific sin, and that is violence. One sin is mentioned explicitly in the text, and it is violence. Now, I, say, I think it's safe to assume that that's not the only sin that was running rampant because every intention of man was evil, implying all aspects of their life 
was affected by the evil. But violence is explicitly mentioned. Haven't we seen so much violence in our world between Russia assaulting Ukraine, between bombings, between wars, between shootings? There's just so much violence. And according to the biblical story, the first person to physically die died due to violence. Cain killed Abel. And so God, he's had enough of this violence, one person against another, and he, he decides to wipe it out. He's had enough of it. And so God, he's going to send a flood, and he prepares Noah, right? He says, build an ark. Now let us appreciate how weird this is, okay? How weird it would be for God to request you to build an ark, to prepare for an unforeseen future, because that future is unforeseen on Noah's end. He doesn't know it for sure. God just told him it's going to happen. He has a word, but that's it. It's weird. And then he's told to build an ark of gopher wood? Well, that's maybe what it says. Translators, they're really not sure how to translate this here. The, the word for gopher, it only occurs once, and that's right here. So some people would suggest it's a type of wood, whether it be cypress, and some would say it's a type of wood that doesn't even exist today. But the type of wood doesn't really matter. This is just a weird situation. God, he calls Noah to do something out of the norm. Can you imagine what his family may have thought? Sure, Noah, sure, Dad, go build an ark because a flood's going to come. Can you imagine what people around him thought? Sure, Noah, yeah, there's going to be a flood coming. They probably thought he was crazy. He's preparing for an unforeseen future, and he's doing something way out of the norm. And according to worldly standards, being out of the norm is disadvantageous, right? It's not an advantage to you to be out of the norm. And so, of course, Noah's out of the norm. He's out of the norm because he's the only person concerned about pleasing God, and he's, <laughs> he's out of the norm by building a large boat to house his family and some animals. Right? And speaking of that, God asked him to house some animals. Can you imagine that? If I was there and God asked me, hey, I need, to get, like, I need you to get two types of everything, I'd be like, wait a minute, I have a list of animals I don't want to keep, you know? Like the things that can kill me? How about we leave those off the ark, you know? But here, God, he asked him to get these animals on the ark, and my goodness, how weird is that? Let's just be honest, this is weird, this is out of the norm. But haven't we all been called to something and things out of the norm? Haven't we all been called to live in a way that's contrary to how society lives? We serve a king who did not possess earthly riches. We do not live life according to the flesh, and we read and practice a text that, could, that is largely considered outdated. We serve a God who would come down in the flesh to serve others, and a God who would sacrifice himself. Of course we're out of the norm. Despite being out of the norm, despite things that can be considered weaknesses for Noah, he obeys God. He has faith in God and he fears God according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Now I want, to, I want us to explore what it means exactly to have faith. Noah has faith and he fears God, but there's, there's misconceptions about faith. And I'll tell you one of the misconceptions, and that misconception is that faith is blind. That's not true. Now, to, to explore this, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Now, of course, Hebrews 11, verse 1. It's, it's the text, the verse that people turn to to define faith, but it is commonly misunderstood. So, 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, I want us to focus on this word conviction. Right? The Greek word translated for conviction here is elenkos. Now, it's actually it's better translated as proof or evidence. So, in other words, Paul's faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the proof or evidence of the things not seen. So, with this in mind, let's read verse 3. Hebrews 11, verse 3 says, By faith, or the proof or evidence, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So what is this evidence of God? Well, it's what we see. That's what Paul's saying. It's creation. Paul's argument here is essentially a cosmological argument. The, the material world cannot be created out of what is material. God is the best explanation for everything in existence. Now, all that being said, our faith is not blind. God has given us so many reasons to have faith in him, whether it's creation as a whole, the, the miracles he's performed, or Jesus who was resurrected. Church, our faith is not based on nothing. Our faith is based on everything. It is not blind faith. You know, often people have the tendency to give up in the face of their weaknesses or because they see no reason to have faith. Now imagine if Noah gave up because he was alone. Imagine if Noah gave up because God asked him to do something out of the norm. Giving up for Noah would have meant death. So I exhort you all, do not give up. I know it's easy. I know it can be easy to just give up. But if you hold on, it'll be more than worth it. And so Noah, he doesn't give up. He shows reverent fear of God, and he is faithful. See, church, when we are faithful, God, well, really, we are fa- when we are faithful, God is faithful. But quite frankly, God is faithful all the time, whether we are faithful or not. And so God responds in Genesis chapter 9 to Noah faith- Noah's faithfulness. Genesis chapter 9, now this is after the flood, this is after it has subsided, this is after God has delivered Noah through the flood. Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 says this, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood, and for your lifeblood I require a reckoning. For every beast I require, and from man, from his fellow man I require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his image, and you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Now we see a few things here. God, he blesses Noah in response to his faithfulness. There is a need for sacrifice to atone, and they are called to be fruitful and multiply. 
Noah, he passed through the waters and God blessed him. He passed through the waters and there was a need for a sacrifice to atone. And he passed through the waters and he was told to be fruitful and multiply. Doesn't this sound familiar? Some of you have passed through the waters and God blessed you. Some of you have passed through the waters and there was a perfect sacrifice to atone. Some of you have passed through the waters and you were told to be fruitful and multiply, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. In spite of your weaknesses, be faithful. Look at Noah. He was alone. He was called to something out of the norm. And he was faithful. And yet God delivered him through the waters. So be faithful like Noah. But unlike Noah, guess what? If you pass through the waters today, guess what? There is a perfect sacrifice waiting for you. Perfect blood to cleanse you of your sins and a perfect Savior to change who you are. And so if you've yet to pass through the waters, if you have yet to proclaim faith as Noah has and has, has so many people have, you have an opportunity now. You have an opportunity to proclaim faith and to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit.